Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Joining us now on the phone to talk about Osborne Village, Abby Khan. Abby, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me on, Hal. Yeah, thank you for doing this. Appreciate it. So um, we were chatting in our news meeting this morning about Osborne Village. Uh, Jeff had Councillor Sherry Rollins on earlier, and uh, in listening to that chat, I got the impression she thinks the big problem in Osborne Village is the rents are too high. You've got the green carrot there. What's your uh, sense? Because um, uh, here's what I worry about. We'll get into this a bit too, maybe. I worry that something like COVID-19 right now might just spell the end for that business area. But maybe I'm overstating that. You tell me. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a super loaded question, but I'll try to keep it short and non-political. Uh, I don't think COVID will be the end. I think that's a, a real uh, extreme statement. I think COVID will slow it down more than it is, but I think people will come back. Uh, I think... The biggest problem with Osborne Village is not that the rent is too high. The rent is high. It's a little bit high. I pay for rent there. It's, it's a little bit high, but it's not crazy high. You're not paying rates like you are paying in the suburbs. You know, some places in season with Tuxedo or even down on Pemina where my other store is, I'm paying way more money down in the bubs, which is crazy. You should be paying more money down in the downtown core or in, in hub areas like Osborne or Corden. So I don't think the rents are super high. What I think is happening is um, a, a bunch of factors. Uh, one of them is uh, when less people are coming to the area because it's less accessible through parking uh, and, and safety concerns is one for sure. I know I get that as the owner there is that safety concerns are big for people walking around in the area. Uh, parking and accessibility has been a problem in that area lately. So it's just being used more as a thorough corridor than it is being used as a destination. And three, uh, once you lose one or two or three shops, uh, it becomes less of a destination area. Because before in the day, like 10 years ago, it was, let's go to Osborne, let's hang out, let's eat, let's shop. Uh, and we start losing a couple of those, and then a couple more start leaving, and a couple more start leaving, it becomes less desirable. So we need to entice people to come back to the area by bringing some shops in there, by cleaning up the area a little bit, um, incentivizing for you know parking, uh, shopping, making a fun experience again, and, and people will come back. I believe in the area. I just resigned my lease for five years. Uh, I think we can do it. Yeah, and I, I guess back to my point about the COVID, and I, I said maybe I'm overstating it, I, I just hear about so many businesses that may not come back after this, and we've, we've already got some vacancies in Osborne Village. I, I just worry it, it might be just enough to push it over the edge, but I'm glad to hear you say that, that you don't think that's going to be the case. No, and I think, unfortunately, like COVID's scary. I have six restaurants. I was supposed to open a seventh one. So um, you know, it's very scary for small business owners. And I think, unfortunately, some business owners will not survive COVID. Um, you know, but that was it a healthy business going into COVID. I'm not sure. What are the cir- other circumstances? I'm not sure. Osborne Village is a busy, busy area. It is a hub, or it was a hub, where people came, they hung out, they shopped, they ate, they had fun. So let's bring that back. Again, the rent is a little bit high, but it's not crazy high. People aren't coming. Well, why aren't they coming? What are factors for people not coming to an area? Accessibility, safety, and, and options, right? So let's, let's increase the options. Let's clean up the safety a little bit. Let's make it a little more desirable for people to come to. And let's make it fun for people to want to come back and experience that village area, right? It's, it's very similar to the exchange district. I have a store in the exchange. 
Um, we need to make these areas hubs for people to come to, not where people are getting out of the city and going to, you know, these outlet malls or these, you know, shopping corridors. We want people to come back to the city. And that's what Winnipeg as a city needs to work on. And I've been pushing for that for a long time. Yeah, I know you have. Uh, is uh, safety a real issue in the village, or to, or is it perceived because we've got sort of a large homeless population there? I'm wondering if it's real or perceived. Well, thanks, and I was going to clarify. I just put a note down here, perceived. Uh, it's, I believe it's a perceived issue, right? Uh, I've been there for seven years now with Green Carrot and Knock on Wood. Uh, we've never had an incident at our stores, or maybe one or two minor incidents in seven years, but that could happen anywhere. Um, so it's a perceived issue, right? So that's what people are seeing as an issue. Well, how do we get rid of this perception is, again, these all these safety issues or, or shopping issues go away when you have people in the area, right? When people are uh, coming to an area uh, and you have people on the streets, you have people hanging out, you have people parking and walking around, all these safety concerns go away. Uh, so I think really the thing is, how do we get people back there? Uh, we need to get more tenants in there. How do we get more tenants in there? Yeah, some of the rents need to be maybe maybe somehow uh, helped along the way, maybe reduced a little bit. You know, there is the issue in Osborne Village that um, there's a handful of people that own the majority of the properties there, right? And they're not budging. Like, you got the corner of Basil's right, on, right across from Green Carrot that's been empty for, you know, a while. Uh, you know, we need to do something as a city to tell the owners of those places, hey, Either you invest in this, you get a tenant in there, or you get out. Uh, because having these empty spots sitting there is doing nothing good for the city or Osborne Village. And there's three or four spots like that in the village that the city needs to do something. And I think it's about time that we put some pressure on them saying, hey, let's get going on this, owners. If you're not going to do something, we're going to make you do it, or we're going to get you out of there. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, well, of course, we talked about Green Carrot in the village. You mentioned Schwarmacon in the Exchange District and um, uh, also down on, on South Pembina. How are you generally managing uh, through COVID-19? Are you, are you excited about dining rooms probably uh, opening up again? <laughs> Maybe it looks now even sooner than June 1st. Well, I, I, thanks for asking that. Uh, knock on wood, I'm very blessed. Uh, three of the six stores are still open, and they're doing fairly well. We have a fairly large takeout, uh, skip edition of DoorDash. We've been helping, and a lot of customers are picking up locally, supporting local, which is great. My big concern with the other three restaurants is with these restrictions, a, a restaurant or a retail store isn't really built on a 50% occupancy model. So I can't have half my tables empty at a restaurant and still have it fully staffed with all the food and expect to make any money. I mean, you don't open a 2,000, 3,000 square foot restaurant thinking I'm only going to use half of it, right? We need people through there. So it's a little, I'm a little worried about, you know, when they do say you can open, well, does opening really benefit me or does it just, uh, just do I just stay closed until we can get more people through the door? Because we're not going to make any money at 50% occupancy. I'm very happy to see the way it's trending uh, and that we might be getting towards phase two and that they're increasing the, you know, a number of people that can be gathered outside. So we're heading in the right direction. I'm in no rush to get those things open. Safety first. Let's take our time. Let's do it right. Uh, let's do it together, and we'll be all be okay. Yeah, and I'm hearing that from a lot of restaurateurs. Same thing what you just said, you know, half full. I'm better off to do takeout, delivery, and wait until I can get back to something way closer to normal. Exactly. And I mean, in areas like, you know, Osborne or Exchange or the downtown or the Forks, where you rely on foot traffic, right? We rely on people coming to work downtown, people coming around walking around downtown, walking in these certain areas. And if there's no one walking because no one's working in the offices, why are we going to open up our stores? 
Um, you know, you got your staff, you got to deal with, you got your, you know, to open up every one of my stores is going to cost me $10,000 just to bring all my inventory back. Uh, and that's a lot of money to put down if you're only going to be running at 50%. So I'm not going to be in any rush. I'm going to take it easy. You know, the programs that the feds uh, with the $40,000 and the wage subsidy uh, really go a long way. So we're in the slow game here. I- I'm really using this time to reset our operations. And I think a lot of business owners are, are should maybe, or if they are looking at this, is you never get a chance to hit pause or stop and reset on the way you're doing your business. So we've really changed the way we're, our, when we reopen, how we're going to do things, how we're going to train our staff, how we're going to sell products. Uh, so I'm really excited to open the doors when we finally do get to open. Interesting. So do you think COVID, this pandemic, is going to change the way restaurants do business then going forward forever? I, I think for a lot of them it will. Uh, you know, people keep saying, oh, you have to get creative and innovative and change. And there's only so much innovation and creation you can do as a small business, right? Uh, I, what, what, what can I do? I'm a shawarma shop. I'm a juice company, right? I need people to come to my store and buy food and go. Uh, it, it is going to force the business owners to maybe look at what they're doing with staff costs you know, labor costs and food costs and see how they can operate that a little leaner. And that's what we're doing. Uh, I think it will, we will not see the sales that we had on our stores. I don't think for 12 to 18 months, I don't think we're going to open our doors and all of a sudden be back to where we were sales wise. It's going to take a long time to get there. Uh, so it is going to change and uh, we'll have to adapt with that. I do ultimately believe we will get back to where we are. It's just going to take time. People have to feel comfortable. They have to feel safe going back out again. We have to do it properly so we don't, you know, have another spike that people will slowly get their faith back and coming to restaurants and coming out to, you know, social gatherings. And, and when that happens, I think we'll rebound back to where we were. The big question is how do we, how do we manage those, you know, six to 12 months? And, and that as a restaurant owner, as a, I got to look internally and make some changes and some cuts. Yeah. Hey, um, I want to ask you, you're, of course, a former bomber. How do you feel about the bombers, the CFL? I mean, there's, uh, you know, sports is, uh, I think sports is going to take even longer to come back to where it was. Uh, I'm sure, well, I I worry about that. I think it's way more feasible for a restaurant to get back into business at 50% occupancy than it is, uh, you know, for the bombers to pack 35,000 into the stadium. Yeah, I'm really sad about that. I was looking at the schedule, and I think this Sunday was supposed to be a preseason game uh, against Edmonton. So I'm really, I, I'm really sad that the CFL season's put on hold. It's the right thing to do right now. Um, you know, I, I do have faith that they will hopefully come back in some capacity this year, but it's going to be hard. Like, how do you get twenty or thirty thousand people in a stadium to feel safe, comfortable, and enjoy a game? Uh, if there's any sort of COVID remnant sticking around. So it's going to be a long haul. I, I am sad by that. I, you know, I really, I hope the CFL, I, 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 no, I don't hope. I believe the CFL will make it through this. The CFL is ingrained in Canadian culture, history, fabric. It, it, it's what made me who I am today is the CFL. Uh, I think it will survive this. They need some help from the, from the feds. Uh, they got to, you know, come up with a better plan to make it work. It's sad, man. It's, it's, it's the whole way of life has changed, right? My son is seven years old. He said, Dad, are we going to go to Bomber's game this year? And I said, sorry, bud. And as a business owner, I have three restaurants at the stadium. That, you know, floats a lot of my expenses for the year is those, those Bomber games. I mean, I have three restaurants there. So losing those is a big hit for us as a small business. But I think more as a society, I think losing the CFL and the season, especially after winning the Great Cup, is a huge hit for the city, 
hopefully we get it back. Maybe we run it at 10,000 people in the stadium. I don't know. Uh, but I'm optimistic that we'll, we'll, we'll maybe see some football come uh, September. Hey, Abby, thanks a lot for this. All the best, and uh, stay in touch. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Al. Joining us now, the chair of the Manitoba Beekeepers Association, Mark Friesen. Mark, happy World Bee Day. Well, thank you, Hal. It's, uh, it's a beautiful day to be outside and running around chasing bees. You know what? And I have seen, I just said to my wife, Jackie, last night, and then I got up this morning and I see it's World Bee Day, and I wanted to have you on when I saw that. But I just said to Jackie last night, man, there's a lot of bees around already. It seems like they're around earlier than normal. I know you're a beekeeper, uh, but is that uh, accurate or am I imagining that? Oh, man, this is a this is a unique year. We had such a cold spring, and it was holding off. It was holding off for a long time, and then all these all these different plants started breaking breaking their blossoms at once so you got a bit of a stacking effect right now you've got your your uh willows blooming you've got some some dandelions starting to bloom and normally you you wouldn't have quite as much going crazy all at once but it's it's really got them got them working hard and and they've been cooped up in their hives hoping to get out so it's really quite the quite the uh, force of nature coming to life right now. Interesting. So I'm not imagining that because it really does seem like there are a lot of them right now. And it, you're right about the, everything blooming and turning green and blossoming. It seemed like it happened over a day or two, didn't it? Well, yeah. And and uh, there, there are some plants that bloom much earlier in the season, like uh, the aspens and, and uh, the maples. They've all passed, but some of these mid to to late um, late May kind of blooming varieties there they got they they were waiting for those cues those indicators from the environment just uh the longer days and the warmer changes in environment are more and more people getting into beekeeping my neighbors got hives uh here south of the perimeter and I see more and more hives all over the place is Manitoba uh, seeing more beekeeping yeah absolutely and and you know what it is a great hobby for for people to take up i think uh even if you're not doing it in a major commercial way uh bees as a as a hobby like or or it's, it, it connects people to things that are going on around you like i've always said that bees are a bellwether to everything in the environment and it's it's really it's really uh you can you can open up a beehive and see what's what's happening not just there in the beehive but in the entire ecosystem that surrounds you and if there's a dry conditions or or a, a cold conditions the hive is just responding to every every single slight change in the environmental cues they have well, and we've talked before, and I don't have time to get into it here, but I'll just remind people that, you know, we we want to be careful what we do because we can impact bees, and as you point out, bees are a really important part of everything uh, in nature. I, I don't want to run out of time to ask you about the murder hornets. I'm sure you <laughs> heard a lot about this. Uh, since the murder hornets came up a while ago, uh, experts have come out and said, come on, you're, you're overreacting. Do we have murder hornets here? Do bees have to worry here about murder hornets? We're too far north for that, aren't we? Well, you know, I I actually just read a, a bit more of an in-depth article on on their on the, what's happening with them 
And it's it's more to do. Uh, they, they I, I initially thought that they were probably a variety that came from southern Asia, but these these varieties, uh, uh, yellow varieties, northern Japan, Korea. Uh, uh, I was going to say murder hornets, but <laughs> I think the proper name is uh, the giant Asian wasp. Right. And uh, the the, uh, the the variety, they must have come in on some shipping containers. Like, no one knows exactly, but mm-hmm. the belief of the experts is that they are established in the Strait of Juan de Fuca right now, and they could have been there for years already. But now they've broken into mainland as well as they found a hive on the Vancouver Island. So, hmm. So not likely here, but something to keep an eye on, I guess. Hey, uh, Mark, thanks a lot for this. Really appreciate, really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Take care. Mark Friesen, he is the chair of the Manitoba Beekeepers Association. It's World Bee Day. The- Joining us right now, Michelle Jobin from Branding and Buzzing. Michelle, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hal. Thank you for doing this. Appreciate it. It's Canada Takeout Day or National Takeout Day. And uh, I, a, a week or so ago, I thought, wait a minute, wasn't it just Takeout Day? And so I did a little research, knowing you were coming on the show today, and I realized why I keep seeing it, because to support restaurants right now, uh, doing delivery and takeout in, in many cases across the country and certainly here uh, in Winnipeg and in Manitoba, uh, that one day that normally happens in April is now every Wednesday. Have I got it right? Every single Wednesday is takeout day uh, right there in Manitoba, of course, in, in Winnipeg and from coast to coast in, a, in an effort to really support our restaurants that need us more than ever right now. Yeah, and I've been talking a lot about this, maybe too much, but I've got a, a soft spot in my heart for restaurant tours, and I have many friends who are in the business. It really has been a struggle uh, for them, uh, but thank God for takeout and delivery. You know, and we've had such a great response, not only from, you know, Canadians that are wanting to support restaurants, but we're hearing incredible feedback from the restaurants themselves that Takeout Day has created enough momentum right there in their communities to help them make rent every month, to help them stay open, to help them keep their employees employed. And that is a huge thing. Restaurants are such a big part of the fabric of our communities, both in terms of the economic perspective and also from a cultural perspective as well. They make our neighborhoods what they are. Uh, So I think it's a great thing. Yeah, and and as you point out, employ a lot of people, and they're important in our neighborhoods and our cities and and in our provinces. And listen, everybody is challenged right now, right? A lot of people Mm -hmm. have got it tough. But the restaurateurs, and we've talked about this on the show before, restaurateurs work on such slim margins that it doesn't take much to really throw things off for them. Absolutely. And, you know, their overhead is huge. And like you mentioned, the very slim margins, food costs, all of those things, keeping their employees employed, paying, uh, doing their payroll every single month. There's a lot. Uh, and, and they're such incredible entrepreneurs, restaurateurs. Uh, so I think it's, you know, I know everybody is are experiencing hard times right now. But if you can support your local restaurant, Supporting them every Wednesday on takeout day is a great way to do that. It doesn't have to be a huge amount. Just do what you can. And you know what? It doesn't even have to be on a Wednesday if you can do it any day. But we pick Wednesdays because they're normally a slower day. 
Yeah, and it's kind of midweek, right? I think most people, mm-hmm. if you're blessed to still be working and, you know, everything's sort of as normal as it can be right now in your life, once a week, I think, is something that most people, most families can commit to in, in order to support uh, restaurants. I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say that I know Peter Janakis at Pony Corral here in Winnipeg. I know that every Wednesday for takeout day, he does 20% off. So the restaurants Amazing. are getting involved in this, and then there's a hashtag, and, and I would suggest that people should get on social media, support the restaurant, not just by ordering, but also by using that hashtag and, and letting everybody know on social media this is a thing every wednesday absolutely use the the the, uh, hashtag takeout day when you order show people what you're ordering show people what restaurants in your community you are ordering from and you know even if you don't have a lot of money to spend that gives the restaurants a sense of support from the community and i think that that's a beautiful thing and you know to keep the momentum going on this we're you know looking at themes on a weekly basis for takeout day as well. And it's National Barbecue Month. Uh, certainly the weather for barbecuing today in uh, Winnipeg, I should say that, with a beautiful 29 degrees today. Yeah. So uh, it's barbecue day today, and there's some great establishments in Winnipeg that are offering barbecue uh, for delivery or curbside pickup. Excellent. Hey, Michelle, thanks a lot for doing this. Great idea, and uh, really Thank appreciate you. your time. Great to talk to you, Hal. Thank you. Michelle Jobin is with Branding and Buzzing. It's Canada Takeout Day today and every Wednesday. And, yes, uh, I would encourage you to support your neighborhood restaurant, uh, your favorite place to eat. They may not have their dining rooms open right now. Maybe the patio is open. They're doing takeout and delivery. And if, uh, as Michelle said, you can't uh, afford to order and and buy and help them in that way, uh, do it on social media uh, with that hashtag and remind everybody uh, to get involved and support the restaurant tours out there. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.